Welcome to A Month with Matthew in Croatia. I'm writer Matthew Felix, and I needed to get away for a while to figure out what was next for me. And this is what happened when I did. These are travel anecdotes, stories, and ruminations from my month in a small island village in Croatia. From the characters I met to the experiences I had, some funny, some frustrating, to the thoughts, memories, and emotions that came up for me during my solo retreat in the seaside village in Croatia. Ninety-five degrees here today in Croatia, according to a website that I was just looking at online. Apparently, it feels like ninety-nine degrees. I have no idea how they calculate how it feels, but uh, the scientists apparently have figured that out. So, it feels like ninety-nine degrees. It's hard to imagine it's not going to get warmer or hotter because it's only twelve thirty. Truth of the matter is, since I've got air conditioning here, which I ordinarily hate, but when it's ninety-five degrees out you need air conditioning and it actually feels good. But but when I'm not inside, I'm actually loving the mid-90s or mid-30s Celsius temperatures. It was in the mid-90s when I got here. You know, the first week I got here was in the mid-90s and I just love baking on the beach. I just love that intense Mediterranean heat. Now again, if I were working, if I were in the city, if different circumstances, I would not like that that 95 degree heat, obviously. But for going to the beach. And the thing is, it's not that humid here. I forget what the percentage was. Let's see what the percentage is here. If it says, uh, I don't see the humidity and I'm not going to spend a lot of time looking, but yeah, 42%. And that's what it was the last time I looked when I got here. I was curious, 42%. So mid nineties, 42% humidity. If you're on the beach, the breeze is almost always blowing. It's I think once or twice, there was no breeze when I've been at the beach here. So it actually feels really good. So good that when it went down to the mid-80s, I was kind of missing it when I went to the beach because I wasn't just roasting like I like to when I'm there. So I like to get really hot before I get into the water to have that contrast and to have that intense relief. Or relief. <laughs> and uh, I, I don't usually have an intense release when I'm getting into the water, thankfully. But yeah, so anyway, kind of glad it's back up in the mid-90s. I'm not glad for, like I said, all those people I know elsewhere in Europe there have been a, you know, some massive heat waves in the city. Totally different. Down here, I love it. Feeling much, much better today. Uh, yesterday was, was kind of challenging. Did end up on a high note, though, with my free dinner. Such a generous, generous, kind gesture on the part of my friend Alfred. So really appreciated that. And it was just nice to be out and just be forced to sort of stop. You know, I didn't take my laptop. I, I had it. I was on my way out. I had my laptop. I had my journal. I had my phone in my bag because I thought, you know, I'm going to dinner by myself. I'll just keep working. And then I stopped myself because I realized being in this malaise and forcing myself to just like power through and the whole vibe was just kind of wrong. And I just needed to stop. I needed to relax and enjoy this this nice gesture on the part of my new friend. So that's what I did. I just went and I sat and I've already talked about last night, the dinner and how great it was. So I'm not going to rehash all that, but I bring it up just to show that how we can just work through these these sort of dark moments and when we're feeling down. And another thing that I did that helped with that, besides being fed, was I journaled yesterday. And I don't think I talked about this, but I journaled as I've been doing a lot since I've been here, which is something that in my day-to-day -day life, I do it periodically. I mean, it is a constant 
but I might go a week without journaling or maybe even two weeks once in a while. I'm pretty good about it because sort of like meditation, it, it keeps me more or less in touch with grounded and centered and in touch with what's going on in my head and my heart. And so I just kind of need to do it. So it happens because I have this need for it, but it doesn't happen as often as I would like for it to in my day to day. So it's been great getting to journal almost every day here. Sometimes, you know, many, many pages. Sometimes the other day I spent two hours. So I did it yesterday because I tend to journal when I'm feeling something really intensely. I might be feeling really bad or I might be feeling really good, but it's usually sort of on on the ends of that emotional spectrum that I feel compelled to write. I don't really journal about my day-to-day, I did this, I did this, I did this, because that's not that important to me. But my feelings and my thoughts and sort of the deeper stuff and my intense emotions, that usually prompts me to journal. So yesterday I journaled. The reason I bring this up is that exercise of making myself go that much deeper, having to find the words for what I'm feeling and why I'm feeling it and get to the root of why I'm feeling these things, why I'm having these thoughts, why I'm not able to get myself out of the funk, recognizing some of the doubts and fears that are not, you know, that they're of my own making. They're not legit. They're just me, again, having doubts and fears. And so once I'm able to see that, I stop being trapped in this illusion that it's the reality. These things that I'm worried about are in some distant future that doesn't even exist, and yet I'm letting them create my emotions right now. So once I'm able to call them, call them for what they really are and see them for what they really are, then I can get beyond them. So a big part of my working through my my funk yesterday was doing that work and was bringing myself face to face with what was really going on versus just feeling it on the superficial level and stewing in it and just letting myself get dragged down further and further and further, which is so easy to do, I stopped myself, I started writing, and at the end of that exercise, and I wrote a few different times over the course of the day because I was really just in a deep funk, so it took a few different sort of sessions, if you will, interspersed with a long, awesome nap that also helped for me to just get it out. And then once I had worked through that, and once I had seen how I was constructing so much of what was getting me down, how it wasn't real, it was just fears and doubts, then it was like I flushed my system of those emotions and those counterproductive thoughts and feelings. And then I just felt so much better. And then, of course, went and had that dinner, which took it all to the next level. So lots and lots there right? Just about how we create our own realities. We do have control over our emotions because that's another thing I hear so often, right? You'll hear someone say, but that's just how I feel as if that's just completely legitimate. And of course it is in a certain context. If that's how you're, you're feeling about something, then you need to honor and recognize that feeling. I'm not saying just to dismiss your feelings, but I'm saying that we can look deeper and explore those feelings. And oftentimes we realize, not always, oftentimes though, we realize this is of my own doing. I'm the one responsible for this malaise. I'm the one responsible for this funk. And I don't have to be in this space. One thirty p.m. here in Croatia. Had another great morning. Slight variation to the routine this morning. Woke up at 7.07. And actually, you know what? I woke up today before my alarm went off. I think I, yeah, I woke up at six to go to the bathroom and it was thundering, which is actually 
now that I think about it, that's part of the reason I woke up is because it was thundering. There was no, I actually did check the weather yesterday, which I don't do too often. For some reason, I think I was, oh yeah, I know, because I was curious about the temperatures. Uh, but there was no forecast, no rain forecast when I checked yesterday. So I was surprised to wake up this morning to hear thunder. And then I looked outside and there were indeed storm, storm clouds. When I woke up at seven, it was raining, not surprisingly. So I canceled the alarm and just let myself sleep because where I go to the cafe, it's outdoors. Don't really feel like making the trek just to sit indoors. It's just really nice to be outside. So I thought, sleep in a little and then see what the situation's like when I wake up. When I did wake up, uh, the rain had stopped, still still overcast, and even now at one thirty, it's still overcast, but, um, but the rain had stopped, so I made it into the cafe a couple hours late, still saw some of my friends, some of my village pals, and no one had taken my table, which was, of course, my gravest concern, is that getting there that late, my table would be taken, and my whole vibe would be thrown. Fortunately, my table was still covered with water. And the cushions weren't on the seats, and everybody else, of course, was under the awnings. Well, there was no reason to think. I mean, it, it was still overcast, but it did not feel, or there was nothing going on really to make me think it was going to rain. And so I just went in, got some towels, wiped down the table, wiped down the chairs, and got to work. Once I'd been working for a few hours, had an interesting conversation with my buddy Alfred. He sat down to take a five-minute break, and we, of course, ended up talking for... I'm guessing an hour. I mean, at least a half an hour, probably more like an hour. Had another great talk. And it's funny because, well, a couple things. Economics came up, living abroad came up. And, you know, we started talking about money insofar as how much do you pay in San Francisco? What was your salary in San Francisco? I told him my rent. I did not tell him my salary, my former, my long ago salary. But, uh, but it's, you know, it's interesting to have those kind of conversations when you're here because if I tell someone here, that I'm paying $1,800 a month for my apartment in San Francisco, which is half the going rate. The apartment above mine is going for twice or just went for twice that, almost twice that. And the cost of living in San Francisco is just so expensive. So it sounds if I, if I tell someone here that I pay $1,800 a month for rent, it can sound like I'm just loaded. And of course, comparatively, I have enough money to be able to continue to pay that rent, although I'm still trying to figure it out because I'm no longer, I haven't done corporate in four, four or five years. And, you know, I have not figured it out yet. I'm making progress. I'm making good strides. But this creative life is tricky, especially if you live someplace as, as, as expensive as San Francisco. So point being, from my perspective, while I recognize I am living in this place that's really expensive and I am pulling it off. So clearly, in that, from that perspective, I'm okay financially. But from my perspective, I have not figured it out yet. So to tell someone here, where the economic situation is obviously very different, that paying $1,800 a month, it can just really create this, this stilted perspective on my own financial situation, on just the disparity, the economic disparity, because Alfred, he owns his place. He's 24 and he owns his place. So it might sound like I'm just loaded, but I can't, I can't buy a place, right, where I'm living. And he's a, a student and a server. I couldn't, I couldn't pay my rent if I, if I were a student and a server in San Francisco. So it's just really tricky to talk about economics when you're in places that that the the situations are just so different. He's got a lot of, you know, people living here have a lot of advantages in a sense that I don't have with regards to how far the money can go. I have a lot of advantages because I live in this amazing place and have a lot of opportunities that I obviously wouldn't have if I were living on on an island in Croatia in a village. So 
it's just, like I said, it's just a tricky conversation. So then we talked about, he wants to move to the United States. He wants to work in the United States. I talked about, well, actually, before I, before I talk about that, I want to I wanna mention something else we talked about that was really interesting to me, which is, he said, you know, you should come here and do your master's. Now, <laughs> I'm not looking to do a master's. I don't have need of a master's. If finances and time were no issue, I would probably do a master's just for the intellectual exercise and just for the, to have one. And just, again, just purely intellectually, academically, out of interest and out of the passion for whatever I might be studying, but not, not because I need one. Well, Alfred believes that I need one. <laughs> and so he says, you should come here and get your master's and we can swap apartments. You can go live in my apartment in San Francisco. I can live in his apartment here. Well, then we started talking about how I said, he said, you know, and you can just get a job here and you can get a visa, maybe eventually get a passport if you stay here long enough. And I said, well, no one's going to give me a job here. The Croatians need the jobs, right? The the economy, as I had last understood it, talking with a friend whose family is from here, actually editing some of her stories where she has conversations while she was here in Croatia on on a recent visit, talking with some of her friends and family who still live here about the economic situation in Croatia. So my impression based on that was that the economic situation here is sort of so-so, and the chances of a foreigner getting a job here would consequently be really low. Well, he said that's not the case, and that's not the case because Germany, um, Merkel, who is, of course, on her way out, but she has opened the doors to Croatians specifically, and Croatians can now go apparently without a visa and work. We didn't get into all the details, but he said it's a big problem here because, of course, it's causing a big brain drain. And, you know, apparently a lot of Croatians are headed north to Germany. Germany, of course, has done this in the past. I guess it was in the 70s, 80s, that Germany opened its doors to Turks. And so there is now, today, there's a tremendous, a very large minority of Turkish Germans. And there's a, there's a, there's a German word for it, foreign workers, or I, I forget. There's some term that's often associated with that whole program that I think, like I said, I think that was in the 70s, might have been the 80s. So it sounds to me, again, just based on this conversation that I had today with Alfred, that something similar is happening now. At any rate, I just thought that was interesting that that was happening. And good on the one hand for the Croatians who have this this exciting opportunity. Bad, of course, perhaps in some senses for Croatia itself, again, with regards to the brain drain. Good, perhaps, for Croatia with regards to money. It's going to come back from Germany. And it's interesting that I've seen a lot of, not a lot, I've seen a couple Croatians with German license plates. So this might not be entirely new. My friend Lydia lives in Germany. She's Croatian. The neighbor next door who caused all the noise with his construction has a has a, a German license plate. So maybe this is just another round of an ongoing phenomenon. I have no idea. But I thought that was interesting. So Alfred wants to live in the States, which we'd already talked about. And so I said, you know, and then now, now he's joking about, sort of joking, sort of half joking, maybe not entirely joking about me coming to live in Croatia for a while. By the way, I never said I wanted to live in Croatia. I love Croatia. Croatia's great. Who knows? But that, this was all his idea, including that my need for a master's, which I didn't realize I was lacking. But so anyway, talking about him potentially coming to the States and we talked about different places and I told him about how much money I, I would guess off the top of my head an engineer would make. And then I said, you know, you had said that you wanted to go to New York. Now you're talking about San Francisco. Where where do you really want to live? And again, just like in one of our initial conversations, he said, well, I want to go where it's like the traditional, typical America. 
So I said, okay, in that case, maybe you need to go to Ohio. Because he had originally said he wanted to go to Ohio to visit, which I thought was funny, having grown up in Ohio, and just, again, not sure how has Ohio been represented in TV and movies to pique his interest in Ohio. And it ended up that that wasn't what had piqued his interest. It was because he had a friend in Louisville, Kentucky, who had talked about Ohio, presumably Cincinnati, I'm I'm obviously guessing, given the proximity. But anyway, Ohio came back up again, which I again thought was funny. And I said, oh, no, sorry, I brought it up. I brought it up. And I, I did think it was funny, though. I said, okay, well, in that case, if you want typical America, and I told him about how oftentimes corporations getting ready to release new products, they will test market these products in Ohio because certain markets, I don't know if it's a specific city or just Ohio in general or how that works exactly, but are are deemed by marketers as quintessentially American or middle American or whatever that demographic is that's like most American. So I told him, all right, well, in that case, maybe you should go to Ohio after all, because that might be that might be the experience that you're looking for. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe and check out MatthewFelix.com for information about my books, other podcasts, and much more.